This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Father, we thank you for that awesome promise that despite our sins, and they are many, that your mercy is more, that as deep and as dark as our sins are, that your love and your mercy is deeper, and that the light overcomes darkness. And so, Father, thank you for redemption. Thank you for new life as we've celebrated today already in baptism and as we just sung about. Thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. Father, thank you that we as believers no longer live under sin's tyranny. And so, Lord, speak to us now through your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're new today, we are in the midst of a study of Romans. We're just kind of walking uh, verse by verse through the book of, of Romans, one of the greatest books in the Bible, and we have come to chapter 6. And so we're going to look today uh, at chapter 6 and verses 1 through 4, which is a text that just goes so beautifully with baptism, which we've already celebrated. We're talking today about freedom from sin's tyranny, freedom from sin's tyranny. Romans 6 and verses 1 through 4. If you'll find that in your copy of, of God's Word, and, and we're going to look at that together, be sure you keep your Bible or your, your tablet or whatever you use uh, open and ready uh, to look at. We'll project some verses, but uh, no substitute for just uh, kind of keeping uh, God's Word uh, right in front of you in your lap. And so, Romans 6, 1 through 4, let's stand together in honor of God's word as we look at it together. <clears throat> Romans 6 is just one of the greatest chapters in the Bible about sanctification, about growing in Christ. And Paul leads off here in verses 1 through 4 by saying, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Well, unlike certain members of my family, I'm not really an expert when it comes to shopping malls. And uh, especially these new ones, the kind of outdoor deals, feels like you're in sort of a, uh, a little town or city, you know, outside. And I, I, I can't figure out where I'm at. And, and so I, I need to, to kind of get oriented uh, when I go to the, to the mall because I have a very specific, you know, destination in mind. Now, Melissa 
And the girls, when they, when they go to the mall, they're kind of like butterflies that are just sort of, you know, they're going from here to there, and, you know, they're kind of they're all over. But when I go uh, shopping, I'm really hunting because I have a very uh, specific thing in mind and a, a place I want to go and a, and a goal in mind, and, and basically uh, I want to go where I need to go, get what I need to get, and get out. Okay, that's the, that's the thing with me in shopping. So in order to get where I need to get, I need to see where I am. So the first thing I do is kind of seek out one of those you know, big, uh, big directories and, and, and look at that, tells where all the stores are. But the thing that I'm looking for on the directory are three magic words. You are here. If I know where I'm at, then I can kind of get get oriented. The most important question in your life today is where you are in a relationship with God. There is no more important issue in your life than that. Where are you? You know, after Adam and Eve sinned, God came walking to them, and, and, and they did something that they had never done before. They tried to hide from God, and God called out to them. And he said, Adam, where are you? Where are you? Where are you today? You know, last week we, we saw in chapter 5 that, that, that Adam kind of stands at the, at the head of the realm of sin and death, and Christ stands at the head of the realm of life and love. Are you in Adam or are you in Christ? Well, if you are in Christ, then verses 1 through 4 of chapter 6 contain some absolutely glorious truths for you. And Paul's going to tell us about them. But first of all, he is going to have to sort of refute an absurd charge. An absurd charge, uh, which we see here in verse 1. So let's look at it together. Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, what Paul is doing here is he is repeating a slanderous charge that was made against the gospel. Certain opponents of the gospel were saying, hey, listen, all this talk about grace and, and forgiveness, all you're doing is just encouraging sin. And we've seen already in Romans that, that Paul has kind of had to, to deal with this. We saw it in chapter 3 and verse 8. He says there, And why not do evil that good may come, as some people slanderously charge us with saying? Now Paul's answer to this charge that the gospel somehow encourages sin, Paul's answer is to say, not only does the gospel not encourage sin, but the gospel is the only thing that can enable us to obey God from our hearts. Let's uh, look at chapter 3 and verse 20. If you remember there, Paul talked about what the purpose of the law is. 
And he says, therefore, by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So this verse tells us what the purpose of God's law is and what it's not. God's law shows us what our sin is. It, it, it gives us knowledge of sin. That is its purpose. What it does not do and, and what it cannot do is justify us. It cannot make us right with God. We're only made right with God. We're only justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And here's what else the law cannot do. It, it, it does show us what sin is, but it doesn't have the power to enable us to stop sinning and to obey God from our hearts. Only the gospel can do that. See, the gospel not only makes us right with God, but it also begins to make life right. It, it begins to transform us from the inside out so that our want-tos are changed and so that we desire to obey God. Now, how does that happen? I want to talk about two factors. First of all, there's the, the Holy Spirit factor. So when we turn to Jesus in repentance and faith, when we come to know him, we get a new power that's at work in our lives. The third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, comes within us to dwell within us. And the Holy Spirit gives us a new power for living. Uh, we went to the airport in Norfolk to pick up Courtney this week from her, her senior trip uh, with her school to, uh, to Canada. And I noticed that um, if, when we uh, went to pick her up that the sort of the moving sidewalk that they have at the airport was all covered up with heavy plastic. I guess they're redoing something uh, with it. So it was closed down. No big deal in, in, in Norfolk at the small airport. But if you're in one of these mega airports, let me tell you, the moving sidewalk can be the difference between making your flight and being left behind. And that's because when, you, when you're on that moving sidewalk, listen, you're, you're, you're walking along, you've got your luggage and everything, and you're, you're, you're doing the best that you can. But listen, when you get on that moving sidewalk, I mean, there's just, it comes underneath you. And it just propels you. And you're still walking, but you're walking with, with, a, with a power that you did not have before. It's kind of like what the Holy Spirit does for us. We're still, we're still walking, right? We're not passive. We're, we're, we're seeking, we're, we're striving and seeking to obey the Lord and, and, and walk in, in holiness. But listen, we're not doing it on our own. We've got the, the power of the living God that is propelling us forward. Now, that's a very imperfect illustration for this reason, because you can eventually get to your destination without a moving sidewalk, even if you miss your flight. You know, you can get another flight, and you can eventually make it to your destination, but you will never get to heaven without the Holy Spirit, because without the Holy Spirit, it means you're not saved. And so the Holy Spirit gives us the power to obey, the Holy Spirit factor. Second, the love factor. Because in the gospel, we experience the love of God and, and, and because we understand how much God loves us, 
The response of our hearts is to love Him and desire to obey Him. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19 says, We love because He first loved us. When you get blown away by God's love for you and the gospel and what Jesus has done for you, you love him and you desire to obey him because you love him. And what is the law of God all about anyway? It's about love. Jesus says in Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so God's law is about love. It's about love for him, love for others. But listen, as long as you believe that you've got to perform in order to, to, to earn God's love and acceptance, you will never truly love God from your heart. You will always be trying to manipulate him and play games with him. But when you understand that you are already loved and accepted by God because of what Jesus has done for you in the gospel, that frees you to, to, to just love God freely from your heart and you want to obey him because you have received his unconditional love for you and the gospel. The great Puritan preacher John Bunyan, uh, some, one time his critics uh, said, to, said to him, they said, hey Bunyan, listen, if you keep assuring these people of God's love, they're just gonna do whatever they want. And Bunyan said, no, if I keep assuring them of God's love, they're going to do whatever he wants. You remember chapter 2 when we talked about people uh, who had the law written on their hearts? When we talked about people who were, were circumcised, their hearts are circumcised by the Spirit? That's what Paul is talking about here. Right? Because the gospel begins to transform you and the power of the Holy Spirit from the inside out so that your very want-tos are changed. And you want to obey because you love God. And why do you love God? Because he first loved you. And you understand that you're loved and accepted in him because of what Jesus has, has, has done. And you're not trying to gain anything or earn anything anymore. It's already, everything's been won already. The victory has been won. And you are his beloved child and, and, and he's your father and you love him and you want to please him and you want to obey him. That's the love factor. Now, He's going to get into these incredible truths that are pictured in baptism. First of all, we are baptized into his death. Let's, let's look once again at verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means! Now, the phrase in Greek that Paul uses here, meganoita, is just like this incredibly 
super strong <laughs> phrase. I mean, it's like Paul saying, is it, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul's like saying, are you crazy? Like, not only is that just repugnant, but it's, it's nonsense. It's absurd. Michael Bird says this, the problem with remaining in sin is the absurdity of the thought. It's kind of like asking whether one should remain stuck at the bottom of a well, even while a rope has been lowered down to us. Grace is designed to get us out of that situation, not to make us feel more comfortable within it. But what does he mean here? Look at, look at, verse, look at verse 2 again. He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it. What does he mean when he says that we as believers have died to sin? Well, he certainly doesn't mean that the struggle with sin is over. You may have noticed that in your life, right? He doesn't mean that, 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 that we're not going to struggle with sin anymore, that we're, you know, we're, we're, we're not, we're not going to be totally free from sin. He, he can't mean that, and we know he doesn't mean that, because of what he's going to say in the verses that are coming up. Look at what he's going to say in verses 12 and 13. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. So Paul is saying here that, look, it's every day. It's daily repentance. It's daily making choices to offer every part of our bodies to God as instruments of righteousness rather than offering them to sin. Okay, that is the daily fight for holiness that all of us have. So he, certainly when he says that we died to sin, he doesn't mean that we're free from the struggle with sin. Can't mean that. What it does mean is that we as believers have been freed from the tyranny of, of sin. In other words, we are no longer slaves to sin. Before Christ came into your life, you were a slave. Sin was your master. It owns you. That is not the case with us as believers anymore. Far from it. We are no longer under sin's domain. We are not slaves to sin. We are children of God. We are new creations in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone. A new life has begun. And so look, when the enemy comes knocking at your door in temptation, please remind the creep that you're under new management. You don't belong to him anymore. You're not a slave anymore. You know, during the terrible days of, of slavery in our country, one of the, 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 um, the themes of the spirituals that the slaves would sing is that they would sing about the exodus experience in the Bible when the, the children of Israel were enslaved. And, and, and what did God do? When God brought them out of Egypt, when he delivered them from slavery, what happened after that? They passed through the waters of the Red Sea. What happens to us 
When God delivers us from slavery to sin, we pass through the waters of baptism. And that's what he's going to talk about beginning in verse 3. Let's look at it together. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now listen, there is no doubt here that Paul is referring to water baptism. New Testament scholar Doug Moose says this, By the date of Romans, baptize had become almost a technical expression for the rite of Christian initiation by water, and this is surely the meaning the Roman Christians would have given to the word. And that's because in the early church, there was no such thing as a Christian who blew off baptism. And we need to get back to the, the, the emphasis of the early church, and we need to magnify Instead of downplaying, we need to magnify the importance of believers' baptism. Because it is a biblical command and, and the very great commission that Jesus gives us in Matthew 28, 19. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Listen, baptism and the Lord's Supper are not church traditions. They are biblical commands. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with traditions. Okay, but, 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 but church traditions can be taken up and they can be discarded. They can be dropped. And you invent new traditions. Okay, that's, that's fine. It's okay to do that with tradition. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are not church traditions. They are biblical commands. They are ordinances. They are ordained by Jesus himself. And so when it comes to baptism for the believer, listen, we're not talking about an option that you can sort of, you know, take or not take. We're talking about a command that you can obey or disobey. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, then friend, you need to be baptized. Right? Seek us. Listen, I'll be here after this service today. Come up and let me know. Hey, listen, I know the Lord. I love them. I need to be baptized as a believer. What a joy. The early church knew nothing else, right? So, I mean, when he says baptism here, that's what's on their minds. Because when they became believers, they were baptized. And furthermore, their baptism was by immersion. In fact, the very word baptize... Uh, the Greek word is baptizo. It means to plunge or immerse. And, and you really can't make sense of verse 4 any other way, right? What does he say in verse 4? He says, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. You can't picture a burial any other way in baptism unless the person is immersed. They're lowered beneath the water. And that lowering beneath the water pictures burial. And then when we're raised up out of the water, it pictures resurrection. And that's the next thing that we see. We are raised into his life. Let's look at verse 4 again. He says, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. What happened to Jesus after he was buried? He was raised. 
What happened to us? We were dead in sin, and we have experienced a resurrection. We have been raised. We've been born again. And baptism pictures that resurrection. It pictures what happened to Jesus. It pictures what, what happens to us as we are united to him, identified with him. And I love the word walk here. He says, he says that, that we might walk. We're raised to walk in newness of, of life. And so listen, not only are we sort of positionally dead to sin and alive to God in Christ, but practically, right, we can walk in newness of life. Life begins to change. And listen, if a life remains unchanged, then that person really doesn't know the Lord. I mean, if you've come to know the Lord, there's going to be change. Uh, again, I love what Doug Moo says about this. He says, <clears throat> living in sin is not possible as a constant situation for the one who has truly experienced the transfer out from under the tyranny of sin. Sin's power is broken for the believer, and this must be evident in, in practice. <clears throat> now, you notice here that Dr. Moo qualifies what he says there with the word constant, right? Living in sin is not possible as a constant situation for the one who has truly experienced the transfer out from under the tyranny of sin. Now, tr surely as believers, we know that sometimes we fail, uh, we, 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 we sin. We know that, right? That's reality. But listen, if we're, if we're really born again, we hate our sin. We don't embrace it. We hate it. And we're at war with it. We're fighting with all that we can ag ag against it. And, and, we, and, and we mourn it, we, we hate it, we don't want it in our lives. And so um, that's different than somebody who's just sort of embracing sin and living in sin as sort of a, a constant lifestyle. I mean, that's just not consistent with somebody who truly possesses saving faith. <clears throat> so our situation now in this world it's kind of like this. So Tim Keller gives this illustration. I, I love it. Keller talks about, let, let's say that a country was under the domination of, of, a, of an evil army and an, and an evil government. And the people were just enslaved um, by these guys. Well, well then the, the good army invades. And they win. And the people are liberated. And, and they've got a, a, a new good uh, government in, in, in place. They're no longer under, under the tyranny of this old regime. However, there are still out-of-power soldiers that are out in the bush. And they still make guerrilla attacks against the, the, the rightful government. That's, that's our situation, right? We are, we are freed from sin's tyranny. We are no longer under the domain of sin. The victory has been won, but the enemy still attacks. Now next week, as we look at verses 5 and following, we're going to talk more about kind of how to, how to deal with that. But for now, I want you to remember this. 
And I want you to keep preaching this stuff to yourself. <laughs> Remind yourself of it every morning, every day. Keep, keep preaching the truth to yourself. I am loved and accepted by God because of what Jesus has done for me. Because the more that you get that glorious truth of the gospel into you, the more you're going to love God and the more you're going to want to obey God. Preach to yourself, I am a child of God, not a slave to sin. Preach that to yourself. You're tempted. I'm a child of God, not a slave to sin any longer. Under new management, the old is gone, the new has come. The old life under the old master, it's buried been raised to walk in newness of life. Remind yourself, preach to yourself. I am united to Christ by faith. I am buried in the likeness of his death. I am raised in the likeness of his resurrection to walk in newness of life. And all God's people said... Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gospel. Thank you for what is pictured in Christian baptism. Thank you for the new life that we have in Christ. Lord, thank you that the old is gone, the new has come. Thank you, Father, for your forgiveness. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who gives us the power to be transformed and to, to love you from our hearts, Lord. Help us to get the glorious truth of the gospel just deep within us. Help us to understand how much we are loved by you, that our love for you will grow and our desire to obey you and live for you and serve you will just grow because we understand how much love we received in the gospel. Father, I pray for anyone here today that maybe what I'm talking about is new for them. Lord, I, I pray that you would open the eyes of their hearts to see how much Jesus loves them and what he's done for them and dying for their sins and rising from the dead. And that, Lord, you would grant them repentance and faith to turn to Jesus and trust him, Savior and Lord. We ask it in his name. Let's stand together as, as we sing. And if you're here today and God's speaking to your heart, just about a relationship with Christ, you want to talk with someone or pray with someone, uh, we are open to do that with you. We'll be here during our invitation time. We'll be here after our service uh, for you. Uh, if you need to talk with someone or pray with someone, we're here for you. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. 
I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.